Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna alhamdulillahi na'maduhu wa nasti'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina man yahdihillahu falamudillalah wa man yudlilhu falahadilah wa ashadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallama tasliman kathira amma ba'd My dear brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh we're doing hadith number 19 tonight and I'm actually really excited about this hadith because hadith number 19 is one of my two favorite hadith inside Imam al-Nawi's um, collection of 40 hadith just because it's such a comprehensive such a beautiful hadith and it shows you not only the kindness of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, but his wisdom and perfect example in uh, all aspects of life so let's get going so عن أبي العباس عبد الله بن عباس رضي الله عنهما قال كنت خلف رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يوما فقال لي يا غلام إني أعلمك كلمات احفظ الله يحفظك احفظ الله تجده تجاهك إذا سألت فاسأل الله وإذا استعنت فاستعن بالله واعلم أن الأمة لو اجتمعت على أن ينفعوك بشيء لم ينفعوك إلا بشيء قد كتبه الله لك وإن اجتمعوا على أن يضروك بشيء لم يضروك إلا بشيء قد كتبه الله عليك رفعت الأقلام وجفت الصحف رواه الترمذي وقال حديث حسن صحيح وفي رواية غير الترمذي احفظ الله تجده أمامك تعرف إلى الله في الرخاء يعرفك في الشدة واعلم أن ما أخطأك لم يكن لأصيبك وما أصابك لم يكن ليخطيك واعلم أن النصر مع الصبر وأن الفرج مع الكرب وأن مع العسر يسرى so on the authority of Abu Abbas, Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, who said one day I was riding behind the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he said, O oh young man, shall I teach you some words of advice? Be mindful of Allah and Allah will protect you. Be mindful of Allah and you will find him in front of you. If you ask, ask of Allah and if you seek help, seek help. Uh, in Allah. Know that if the nation were to gather together to benefit you with something, they would not benefit you with anything except that Allah has already recorded it for you. And if they were to gather to harm you by something, they would not be able to harm you by anything except that Allah has already recorded it against you. The pens have been lifted and the pages have dried. This hadith was recorded by a Tirmidhi who said it is Hassan and Sahih. In a narration other than that of a Tirmidhi, it states, Be mindful of Allah and you will find Him in front of you. Become beloved to Allah during times of prosperity and He will know you in times of adversity. Know that what has passed was never meant to befall you and know that what has befallen you was never meant to have passed you. And know that victory accompanies perseverance, relief accompanies affliction and ease accompanies hardship. When you look at this beautiful hadith, my dear brothers and sisters, you notice that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, literally summarizes the, important, the most important elements and aspects of our belief pertaining to Qadr in this hadith. And when you look at the element of Qadr and the role that it plays in our lives, you'll realize that a proper belief in Qadr is what builds a foundation for an individual. A strong, sturdy foundation. Meaning that no matter what calamity strikes an individual, then that person is able to find stability. And that is why when the Messenger of Allah وسلم, addresses this to Abdullah ibn Abbas anhuma, who has not even hit puberty at the time that this hadith is being narrated to him, it realizes that the, we realize that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, had this grand vision of creating leaders in his ummah. 
And this is something that inshallah will uncover in this beautiful hadith. So as for general comments about this hadith, we mentioned that it talks about the basic elements of Qadr and the relationship that the slave has with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the great scholars of the past by the name of Ibn al-Jawzi, he says about this hadith, I pondered over this hadith and it amazed me to the point that I became lightheaded. What a pity for the one who is ignorant of this hadith and has little understanding of its meaning. So he mentions two points that he pondered it to the degree that he got lightheaded because he kept on deriving so many benefits from this hadith. And he said what a sad state of affairs it is for the individual that doesn't know this hadith and is unable to extract its meanings. That is how deep this hadith actually is. So the narrator of this hadith is Abdullah ibn Abbas who was the cousin of the Messenger of Allah wasallam. He was born three years before Hijri and died 68 years after Hijri. So how old was he when he died? He was 71 years old when he radiallahu anhumah passed away. And Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu radiallahu anhumah was from you know Bani Hashim. So he's from the, the very close tribe of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this particularly you know played a great role in him keeping close company of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. One due to the bond of Islam, but second due to the bond of family. This caused Abdullah ibn Abbas constantly to be with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So much so that when it came to narrating hadith from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was the fourth greatest narrator in terms of number. He narrated 1,660 hadith from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam made a special dua for Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah that he said, Oh Allah, teach him the understanding of this book. Allahumma faqihu fi din wa'allimhu ta'wil. That Allah grant him understanding of this beautiful religion and teach him the interpretation of the Quran. And that is why anyone that discusses the science of tafsir is dependent upon the tafsir of Abdullah ibn Abbas. Because there was no great scholar, uh, there was no greater scholar in tafsir uh, uh, other than Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. So eventually, um, during the time of Ali ibn Abi Talib's Khilafa, he became the Khalifa of Basra. And when Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu passed away, after that he moved back to Ta'if. And that is where he eventually passed away. That is where he eventually passed away. The benefits of Abd, uh, the virtues of, of Abdullah ibn Abbas are many. And just to, to mention, you know, I guess some of the few of them, the fact that the Messenger of Allah made dua for him, that was one. Number two, that the Prophet told the companions that to learn the interpretation of the Quran from Abdullah ibn Abbas. Number three, that if you look at some of the students of Abdullah ibn Abbas, they used to say that I completed the Quran with Abdullah ibn Abbas you know, three times or four times or five times. And some of them even up to like 10 times, they completed the Quran with Abdullah ibn Abbas. Now what's amazing about that is not the fact that they read the Quran to Abdullah ibn Abbas, but the fact that Abdullah ibn Abbas used to comment on the Quran each time they would read the Quran with him. So in our day and age, if you can find you know, a teacher that will teach you the Quran once, this is like something grandiose. But to find someone who's willing to go through the Quran with you 10 times to teach you its meanings. And he did this with multiple other students, you know, is a, is a great achievement. So this was from the virtues of Abdullah ibn Abbas uh, anhu, as well. So now starting off with the hadith, he says, one day I was riding behind the Messenger of Allah 
The scholars of hadith derive from this that it is permissible for two individuals to ride on one horse or camel as long as the animal can carry that burden. And it shows you at the level of detail that the scholars of hadith used to go to in terms of deriving benefits from this. Like when you hear, you know, one day I was riding behind the Messenger of Allah وسلم, you wouldn't think to derive that, you know what, this indicates that it is permissible for two men to ride on the same camel, on the same horse, and there's nothing wrong with it. And this is what the, one of the first benefits that the scholars of hadith mentioned over here. Some of the scholars argued that Abdul ibn Abbas was not uh, on the same camel as the Messenger of Allah وسلم, but rather he was walking behind the Messenger of Allah. But if you look at the narration in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, it makes it very very clear that Abdullah ibn Abbas was actually on the same camel as the Messenger of Allah Then he starts off by saying, Ya Ghulam, O young boy, O young man. And this teaches us a very valuable lesson, that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, paid very, very close attention to the young people in his ummah. And you'll find this with Abdullah ibn Abbas, with Nu'man ibn Bashir, with Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhum ajma'een, that the Prophet وسلم, took very special care of advising them in this young age. And each of them was given these prophetic hadith that would shape and dictate the way their lives were. So in this hadith, Abdullah ibn Abbas is not even you know, like 10 to 13 years old. Very, very young when this is actually taking place. Now this hadith, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he narrates it in such a way to make sure that people understand that he's narrating this hadith directly from the Messenger of Allah Whereas the vast majority of hadith that he narrated, he narrated through other companions. So he would narrate them through Ali ibn Abi Talib, he would narrate them through elder companions. But this hadith he is directly narrating from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he lets us know this, right? He's letting us know that he heard this directly from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that he didn't, you know, forget any of the words that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told him. So he tells him, oh young man, shall I not teach you some words? Another benefit derived from this very point is the element of making the most of one's time. So you're riding through the desert, you're on a camel in a journey, and you can be talking about a wide variety of things. Right, the Messenger of Allah he could have just stayed silent, he could have asked him, you know, how was your day? What did you do? You know, what's new in your life? But rather the Messenger of Allah took that opportunity to teach this young man the basic foundations of this deen, the basic foundations of this deen. And this shows us not only the element of, you know, the Messenger of Allah investing in the future, but the Messenger of Allah teaching him good habits in terms of how to make the most of one's time, right? So when you look at time, none of it can you achieve back, right? No matter what you do, the time that has passed you, you'll never ever be able to get back. And this is what the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is teaching him through his very example, that we have time together, let us make the most of it. Let us make the most of it. So every opportunity you have to hang around with the guys, where you're hanging around with your family, you know, whoever you're spending time with, make sure you make the most of that time. And the best way to spend your time is in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and learning this beautiful deen. So the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he says, I shall teach you a few number of words. The scholars derive the wisdom behind this is that a young man, he can become overwhelmed and perplexed 
that the Messenger of Allah is telling him, I'm going to teach you some words. So the man, the young man, he may start to think, you know what, these words are going to be very heavy upon me, they're going to be a lot in number, how am I going to remember them, how am I going to memorize them? But the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he brings ease and comfort to him. He says, I'm just going to teach you a few words, so memorize them, you know, take care of them, be very meticulous with them, be very diligent with them. So this would not be very burdensome upon the Messenger of Allah. And it shows that the Messenger of Allah, you know, he had the wisdom in terms of, of dealing with a young child, rather than overburdening him with a vast amount of information. It was just a little bit of information, but was extremely relevant in shaping the life of Abdullah bin Abbas. And the first words he tells him now is, that preserve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will preserve you. Now this is the literal meaning of the hadith. But that's not what actually the Messenger of Allah وسلم, was getting across. Because how does a person protect Allah or preserve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah is not in need of our preservation or our protection. But rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that preserves and protects us. So if you look throughout the Quran, when is this term hiv used in the Quran? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the term hiv in terms of protecting the salah. Hafidhu ala salawati wa salat al wusta. That we you know, preserve the prayers and preserve the middle prayer in particular. And those people that protect the boundaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those people that protect and preserve their private parts. So generally when you look at this term hifth mentioned in the Quran, it is mentioned in terms of protecting the boundaries and sanctuaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is teaching him over here. That if you protect and guard the sanctuaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect you and take care of you as well. And you find this relationship of, you know, do this for Allah and Allah will do this for you several times in the, in the Quran. In tansurullah yansurukum. That if you were to give victory to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you victory. You fulfill the covenant with Allah, Allah will fulfill the covenant with you. فَذْكُرُونِي أَذْكُرُكُمْ Remember me and I shall remember you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us a very simple principle is that the way we interact with the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will deal with us as well. Now this is important because when you look at the second narration that we mentioned, and it is the first narration that is actually authentic, and the second narration it has weaknesses in it, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he tells Abdullah ibn Abbas in the second narration, تَعَرَّفْ إِلَى اللَّهِ فِي الرَّخَاءِ يَعْرِفْكَ فِي الشِّدَّةِ that turn to Allah in times of prosperity and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remember you in times of adversity, will remember you in times of adversity. So this concept of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and preserving the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a lifelong mission, right? So particularly when you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take care of you in your times of difficulty, you need to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your times of ease as well. But as a general rule, we should consciously and constantly being mindful of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not letting any single part of it escape us. So that is in terms of protecting and preserving the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually protect and preserve us? The preservation and protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in two ways. 
And one of them is more important than the other. One of them is more important than the other. So the first type of protection is the physical protection. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects our health, He protects our wealth, He protects our bodies, He protects our families, protects our children, protects our friends, protects our possessions. This is the first type of protection and preservation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the companions and the predecessors, they used to say that when we used to commit sins, we would recognize the effect of our, of our sins in, our, in the things that we used to possess. So we notice that the days that we used to commit sins, our animals would not be as obedient as they usually are. Our crops and vegetation would not grow normally in times of sin, right? So they used to see this effect. So an individual who wants that protection from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his physical things needs to be obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the second type of protection, and this is the most important of them, is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserves and protects the deen and faith of the individual. This is the most important type of protection and preservation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That an individual who's mindful of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect his deen. Who can think of an example of this from the Quran? Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected the deen of the individual due to his righteousness. You guys want a hint? Actually, go for it, Masha. Surah Al-Kahf. Story of the young men is a very indirect version of it, but I'm looking for something very explicit. Uh, when? When in Yusuf alayhi salam? Uh huh. Okay. And do you know what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said about that? Yes, it's on the tip of your tongue. I know it. <laughs> so it's not about what he said, but what did Allah Subhanahu wa Taala say about Yusuf at that time? Very, very close. And thus we averted him from al fahsha from this evil and, and lewd deeds, that he was from our sincere and protected slaves. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected his deen at that time from this great desire that he might have had from a corruption of his religion. Now the protection in the deen is more important than the protection in one's property and in one's life. Because protection of one's life and one's property, all that is pertaining to the dunya. But protection of one's akhirah, not only is that beneficial in the dunya as well, but it's even more beneficial in the akhirah. That it is the distinguishing factor between Jannah and Jahannam, right? So for one to be protected from great desires, from one to be protected with doubts pertaining to his faith, this is, you know, one of, from the most important of affairs. And that will only take place if people are mindful of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this teaches us a very important lesson that, you know, people who start losing their religious identity and start having a crisis in faith, it somewhere starts with them losing the deeds that they used to do, losing the deeds that they used to do. So in order for you to retain your faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you actually have to make that effort to protect your faith. You have to make that effort to protect your faith. Now we move on to um, the second hadith uh, in the same lining where the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, اِحْفَظِ اللَّهِ تَجِدْهُ أَمَامَكَ or تَجِدْهُ uh, 
that you will find him, tajidhu tujak, that you will find him uh, in front of you or in the direction that you are facing. Now, why does the Messenger of Allah وسلم, mention this point in particular? That if you preserve the rights and sanctity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you will find Allah in front of you or in the direction that you are facing. The scholars commented on this part by saying that each and every one of us is upon a journey towards the Akhirah, right? Each and every one of us, whether we like it or not, we're in a journey towards the Akhirah. It's inevitable. But the one who is mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he is on a straight journey towards the Akhirah where the destination is his meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas the person who is not mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not preserving the sanctuaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he is going left and right and you know, you know diagonal and, and all other directions except the direction towards facing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Because that is not the Salat al-Mustaqeem anymore. That's like a path of doubt, a path of desire, and that is the path that he's upon. So here the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying that if you want to stay upon the Salat al-Mustaqeem and you want to be guided to the Salat al-Mustaqeem, then you need to make that effort to preserve and protect the boundaries and sanctuaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam goes on to say, وَإِذَا سَأَلْتَ فَاسْأَلِ اللَّهِ That if you were to ask, then ask of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is such an integral part of this hadith that when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is addressing this young 13-year-old boy and he's telling him that if you were to ask, ask only of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you come to see the profound effect that it has. You come to see the profound the, uh, effect that it has. So asking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is known as the act of making dua. And this is perhaps one of the most integral parts of our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where the slave asks of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives in return. So here the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi is teaching Abdullah ibn Abbas that when you develop this habit of asking, get into the habit of asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Because this is from the protection of one's tawheed. This is from the protection of one's tawheed. And then when you think about logically, logically speaking, it only makes sense to ask of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Ibn Rajab rahimahullah, he mentions three reasons. Reason number one is that if you were to ask the creation, by asking that creation, you give them an opportunity to say no to you. Right? So when you ask an other individual, they may say yes, they may say no, but you're giving them an opportunity to say no. Whereas when you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is a guaranteed yes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, the individual that you're asking may be capable of giving you what you want, he may not be capable of giving you what you want. Whereas when you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable of all things, is capable of all things. And the third of them, and this is perhaps one of the, the greatest of them, is that when you ask another individual, the individual that gives you, he may have your best interests in mind, he may not have your best interest in mind, right? In fact, when the individual gives, for the vast majority of human beings, they give because they have their own personal you know, endeavors in mind. That I'm giving this individual a favor so that I can get a favor back in the future, right? That's the, the, the general tendency we'll have when we do these interactions. That you scratch my back and you know, I'll scratch yours. Whereas with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when He gives the slave, He always has the best interests of the slave in mind. So these are three explicit reasons that Ibn Rajab mentions that it only makes sense 
to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And in fact, this is one of the fundamental components of our faith that we consider dua an act of ibadah. In fact, it is perhaps one of the greatest acts of ibadah, if not the greatest act of ibadah, right? The Messenger of Allah he says, dua huwa al-ibadah, that dua is the key component of worship within of itself. Now this is due to the fact that it is the act of ibadah that we do most frequently. This is due to the fact that it is the act uh, that is most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. And it is due to the fact that this is, you know, signifies the relationship between the creation and the creator. That the creator's authority is established and his magnification is established when we ask the creator. And our lowliness, our weakness, our, you know, humility and humbleness is established when we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this shows us the significance of making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's so many you know, beautiful narrations of the people of the past uh, when it comes to you know, this act of dua that there was a, an individual, a, a scholar by the name of Abu Salih. And he had uh, a statement that he used to tell his students that you know, keep knocking on the door of Allah and eventually he will open it for you. And eventually he will open it for you. Rabi al-Adawiyah, when she heard the statement of Abu Salih, she said, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive Abu Salih for who told him that the door of Allah is even closed? For who told him that the door of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is even closed? Meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hearing our supplications and answering our supplications at all times. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi affirmed this for us, that either Allah gives you what you want when you want it, or He delays it to a later time, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't give you what you ask for, but rather prevents an equal amount of harm in your dunya and akhirah. Because that thing was not good for you, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He kept it away from you. He kept it away from you. And this is from, you know, the beautiful lessons of asking from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what do we actually learn from the act of asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? When we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we recognize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one worthy of worship. Number two, we recognize how weak we are and how strong Allah is. How poor we are and how rich Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. How dependent we are and how independent Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Number three, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He rewards us for asking. And this is such a beautiful lesson in this part. That when it comes to, you know, the people of this dunya, uh, one of the predecessors, uh, I can't remember his name right now, he used to say that do not ask of a creation that gets annoyed when you ask of them. Do not ask of a creation that gets annoyed when you ask of them. But ask of the one that commands you to ask him. But ask of the one that commands you to ask him. And this shows us that, you know, not only does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us what we want by asking for it, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards us for it. He rewards us for it. Number four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gets pleased with the individual that asks of Allah, and he gets angry at the one that doesn't ask of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَقَادَ رَبُّكُمْ اُدْعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ إِبَادَتِي سَيَدْخُلُونَ جَهَنَّمَ دَاخِرِينَ That your Lord has said, call upon me, and I will answer you, those people that turn away from my ibadah, i.e. making dua to me, shall enter Jahannam in the state of humiliation and degradation. In the state of humiliation and degradation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes pleased with the slave. Becomes pleased with the slave.
the slave that asks of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this dunya, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him in this dunya and the akhirah. But the creation that does not ask of Allah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will withhold from him in this dunya and will deprive him even further in the akhirah. So when you look at Jannah and Jahannam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the people of Jannah by saying, fiha wa mazid. That the people of Jannah, they will ask, you know, they will get every single thing that they desire and Allah will still give more to them, right? They will, he'll still have more to give them. The people of Jahannam, because they refuse to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this dunya, in the akhirah, when they ask Allah for comfort, they ask Allah for cold water, they ask Allah for, 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 for cool, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deprives them of that and then rather he increases their punishment in the hereafter. So these are some of the benefits of asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are some of the benefits of asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As a last point, what is the ruling on asking other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Shaykh ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, when he comments on this part of the hadith, he says it is a diminishing of one's tawheed to ask of other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if they are capable of doing so. And this is what Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah actually argued. That if you look at the Prophet sallallahu he took an oath from three companions. He took an oath from Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, from Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, and uh, Thu'ban. These three companions, he took an oath from them that they would never ask the creation for anything. That even if their, the reins of their camel were to fall, they would pick it up themselves rather than ask for someone. If their shoelaces were to break, they would ask Allah, but would not ask the creation, right? And they, the lesson derived from this is that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, was perfecting their tawheed, right? Was protecting their belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's not to say that if you ask the creation, your faith or tawheed is nullified, no. But rather it is to say that your faith uh, or tawheed does become deficient because you're asking other than the creation. You're asking, you're sorry, you're asking other than the creator. And that shows a deficiency. So now when does it become permissible to ask the creation? Ibn Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, he mentions two conditions over here. Number one is that it becomes permissible to ask the creation only in those things that you know that they can help you in and that it is not exclusive to Allah. So they can only help you in, and it is not exclusive to Allah. So you're asking for guidance, you're asking for forgiveness, you're asking for children. All of these things are in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The creation cannot help you in them. However, you're lost in the street, you're asking for directions. You need change for your bills, you know, the creation can help you in that. Those sort of things, you can ask the creation. That is condition number one. Condition number two is that they still mention, Shaykh Ibn Thaymin still mentions that even before you ask the creation, you should still ask the creator. You should still ask the creator. So before you even ask for directions, Ibn Thaymin says that ask Allah to send you someone who will help you with directions. And if you're looking for change, you ask Allah, Oh Allah, grant me someone who will, you know, change these bills for me. You ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first. That is from the perfection of one's tawheed. Now why is this so important? Why is this so important? He, rahimahullah, he argues that when people stop asking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first, then they attribute the results to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They attribute the results to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
when in reality all of the results that happened are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a policeman came to save you, it was because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to save you. A fireman stopped your house from burning down, it was because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him the ability to, to save your house from burning down, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves the praise and then the rest of the matters are just the cause. The essence behind it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what Shaykh ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah did not want the Muslim nation to lose. And he says, this is what the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in his various you know, narrations wanted for his ummah as well. That they should always attribute everything back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he goes on to, stay, to say, وَلَسْتَعَنْتَ فَاسْتَعِنْ بِاللَّهِ that if you were to seek help from anyone, then only seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The scholars commentated on, on this part with the previous part, and they said that it is as if the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is teaching him the most important verse in the Quran, which is that it is only you that we worship, i.e. make dua to, and it is only you that we seek assistance from. Ibn Rajab rahimahullah, he comments on this verse by saying, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala summarized all of revelation that is in the Quran and all of the revelation that came before it in this verse. That it is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and realize that it is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that can give and benefit and can protect from harm or harm the, the slave. This is what all of Revelation is summarized in, in, this, in these words. So they said when the Messenger of Allah taught him this second part, that if you seek help, only seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is to summarize this one beautiful, noble verse in the Quran that is the essence of all of Revelation according to Ibn Rajab. According to Ibn Rajab. Then the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he goes on to say, that know that if the nation were get to gather together to benefit you, they would not benefit you with anything except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had decreed it for you. Now here the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is showing Abdullah ibn Abbas multiple lessons in this one sentence. Number one, the ultimate authority is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That there is no movement, there is no power, there is no essence of result except with other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Messenger وسلم, is showing him how weak the creation is. He says if the whole ummah was to gather together. Another narration, he says, if all of the creation were to gather together and benefit you with something, it is only because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already ordered it for you. When you look at the hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu, where the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he is telling the companions that everything that you do has already been written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Jabir radiallahu anhu, he asked the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, O Messenger of Allah, the path to paradise, if it's already written for us, then you know what is the relationship with deeds? Meaning why do we have to do the deeds that we're commanded to do if our destination is already known? The Messenger of Allah وسلم, at that time he says, He says that everything, everything will be easy for the individual that it was written down for. 
Now here the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he establishes positive characteristics inside of Abdullah ibn Abbas. The, from those positive characteristics that he should only fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two is that he shouldn't fear the creation. Number three is that he should be courageous and bold. Number four is that he should have lofty ambitions because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can make anything happen. Then the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he teaches him the exact opposite as well. He says, and if the whole ummah or all of creation were to gather together to harm you with something, they would not be able to harm you except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already written it for you. The wisdom behind that is also many. Number one, again showing the weakness of the creation that they only work by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two is that when it comes to protecting you from harm, it is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that can protect you from harm. No one else can protect you from harm. Number three is if something is meant to happen to you, it's going to happen. Face it, deal with reality, move on with it. Now all of this, when you deal with it, you need that introduction first and getting to know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there. And if you preserve the boundaries of Allah, Allah will take care of you. If you call upon anyone, call upon Allah because it is only Allah that can answer your call. So now when you're in this predicament, it actually makes sense why the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wasallam is telling him all of this. That if something befalls you, then there's many, many reasons for it. Allah is trying to teach you something. He's going to forgive your sins. He's going to increase your reward. He's going to get you closer to Him. He's going to increase your rank in paradise. He will you know, lessen your time in the hellfire. All of these things are a result of the calamities and hardships that we face, right? So here when you have this introduction and a 13-year-old boy is being taught these valuable lessons, you can see his outlook on life is going to be completely different to the young boy that did not receive this information. And it shows you how Abdullah ibn Abbas went on to become this great individual. Because the Messenger of Allah وسلم, imparted this great knowledge upon him. Imparted this great knowledge upon him. Then the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he concludes this beautiful hadith by saying, That the pens have been lifted and the pages have dried. So the pens that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is referring to and the pages the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is referring to are the pages of destiny. Meaning that everything that is meant to happen has already been written and preordained, right? So it's going to happen, be prepared for it. Be prepared for it. And at the same time, your path to paradise, you don't know where it lies, right? You don't know which deed it's going to be in that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to say, you know what, I'll have mercy upon you and enter you into paradise. So you keep doing as many good deeds as you can. And then when it comes to facing trials and calamities, Allah's Messenger has given us so much recourse in this hadith itself. That, you know, if you take care of the boundaries of Allah, Allah will take care of you, right? When bad things happen to you in life, it's because of the sins that you commit. That when you need help, Make sure you ask of Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. When you seek help, seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. When good things happen to you in your life, know that it is purely from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when the bad happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even then wants good for you. Even then wants good for you. And He teaches us so many lessons through adversity that we would never learn through prosperity.
We learn so many lessons through adversity that we wouldn't learn through prosperity. And that is what the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is teaching this young man. Now, just to take a brief look at the other narration of this hadith before we conclude, as we mentioned, the first narration is strong and the second narration is weak. That's why we're not spending too much time on the second narration. But when you look at the second narration of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, there's three points that we actually do derive from it. Number one, he says that if you turn to Allah in times of prosperity, He will remember you in times of adversity. So we generally covered this already. Number two, he says that anything that befalls you was not meant to escape you, and anything that escapes you was not meant to befall you. Then this too we also covered in the first hadith as well. However, the ending of the hadith, we didn't really cover in the first hadith. And that is when the Messenger of Allah وسلم, says that know that victory comes with perseverance, that ease comes after uh, calamity, and that uh, ease comes after hardship. These three things we didn't really cover. And this is what I want to focus on before we conclude. So the Messenger of Allah وسلم, teaching a young boy about victory and perseverance. He tells him that know that victory only comes with perseverance. What exactly do those words mean? That in life you will make mistakes, you will fall down, and the victorious person is going to be the individual that gets up one more time after he falls down. The failure stays sitting down, the failure stays lying down, the victorious the one is the one that gets up just one more time. And that is what victory is. So he's telling him that regardless of how many mistakes you make, regardless of how many times you fall, keep persevering, keep striving hard, for eventually you will be victorious. That in order to be victorious in life, then you have to keep persevering, you have to keep striving hard. And this is what, that when you look at the later you know, expeditions, as they come about, Muslims were, you know, very, very few in number. The non-Muslims are, are in great, large numbers. But the Messenger of Allah is saying that, you know, just make an effort, try, and you will persevere. Then the second thing he tells him is that um, hardship is always accompanied by ease and comfort, right? So when an individual goes through a calamity, goes through a hardship, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always bring them ease and comfort. And... I want you to look at it in terms of two drastic opposites. So when you think of pain, the opposite of it is pleasure. So here the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is telling him that anytime you face pain, it will be accompanied by pleasure. And this pleasure is of, of many, many types, right? The pleasure of overcoming your hardship, the pleasure of entering into paradise, the pleasure of seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the pleasure of having your deeds magnified. These are all pleasures that the slave will face. But what the Messenger of Allah is subliminally telling him is that in every pain that you feel, there is a pleasure. Every pain that you feel, there is a pleasure. You just need to realize it. And that is with the belief that, you know, my sins are being forgiven, my good deeds are being multiplied. That is where the pleasure comes into play. And then the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he concludes in the second narration by saying that with hardship comes ease. With hardship comes ease. And this has two meanings to it. Number one, in the worldly perspective, that every time you face a hardship in this life, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always sends ease right after. Right? It's not possible that Allah will send you a hardship and it isn't followed by ease in this life. Right? And then number two is a principle in the Sharia. That whenever things get difficult in the Sharia, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always accommodates with a concession. That there will always be concessions for the individual in times of difficulty. 
So it's extremely cold. A person, you know, is out in the in the wilderness. They can't make ghusl in the river. So what do they do? They can make tayammum in that situation, right? That is what the concession is for. So that is the second uh, benefit derived from the second hadith towards its ending. And as you mentioned, the second hadith, it actually has some weakness in it. That's why we didn't focus on it. Now, the benefits from this hadith, as we looked at, were, were you know, profound and many. But summarizing those points again, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he taught us the following points in this hadith. Number one, the importance of giving tarbiyah and training our youth. Right, the Messenger of Allah took Abdullah bin Abbas, Nu'man ibn Bashir, uh, Abdullah bin Mas'ud, all at a young age, started advising them, started spending time with them, being in their company. Number two, the Messenger of Allah is teaching us the importance of time. They're riding on their journey, they could have been doing anything, the Messenger of Allah is taking this opportunity to advise him. Number three, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, taught us speaking skills. That he's telling Abdullah bin Abbas, look, I'm going to teach you some words. Don't become overwhelmed by them. They're only going to be a few, right? So he's teaching us how to speak to the various levels of people. When you face, when you're dealing with a young child, don't overwhelm them with a lot of information. Teach them a little bit at a time, let them understand it, and then move on to the next thing. And that is what the Messenger of Allah teaches us. And then in terms of the actual you know, text itself, that when you preserve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's boundaries, Allah will never forsake you. In fact, the more you preserve the boundaries of Allah, the closer you get to Allah, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of you, right? And when an individual preserves those boundaries, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put him on the straight path where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is his ultimate destination, is his ultimate destination. And at the request of the slave, at the asking of the slave, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always there. And that is why the command to ask Allah and Allah alone. And there will be times where you will, you will need help. So only ask help of the one that can truly help you. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the Messenger of Allah concluded in terms of how weakless, how weak and feeble we are as a creation, that even if we gather together to benefit something, we wouldn't be able to do so except by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we wanted to harm someone or something, we wouldn't be able to do so except by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And everything that happens is written in Qadr. Right? And that is why it is of the utmost importance to have such a strong belief and foundation in Qadr. Realizing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had destiny written down 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything that is, was, will be. And if there was an alternate, or, uh, an alternate universe, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have known that as well. Number three is that the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always take precedence. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not willed it, it will not happen. It will not happen. And those are from the most important pillars of our belief in Qadr, that the young children should be made to know, right? That when you tell, teach them these things at a young age, tell them who Allah is, tell them about our relationship to Allah, tell them about you know, the blessings of dua and seeking help from Allah and how Allah will always be there to help. It really develops the character of the young individual. And this is what we saw the Messenger of Allah وسلم, doing with Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu anhuma. And with that we will conclude. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.